And now for a look at Ukraine's rich Jewish heritage, then and now, brought to you by the Ukrainian Jewish Encounter based in Toronto, Ontario. This is Pavlina, producer and host of Nasholos Ukrainian Roots Radio. The Felshtin Society is named after a Ukrainian shtetl called Felshtin, which today is the Ukrainian town of Havardiske. The Felshtin Society began as a benevolent society organized in 1905 in New York City, and it's still active today. One of the most notable of its ongoing humanitarian efforts over the past 113 years is the refuge and relief that the society provided to the survivors of the 1919 pogrom in Felshtin. 600 Jews perished in that brutal pogrom. In April of 2019, the Felshtin Society will hold commemorative events to mark the centenary of this tragic historical event. Last March, we spoke with the president of the Felshtin Society, Alan Bernstein, who told us about the Society and its plans for these commemorative events. Recently, the Society announced some exciting new developments, which Alan has kindly agreed to share with Nasholus listeners. We spoke by phone from his office in New York. So, Alan, welcome back to Nasholus. Thanks very much. I appreciate your having me back. Well, it's it's great to have you, and this story is really fascinating to me, and I'm excited to hear about uh, what's, you know, the new developments. But just to refresh our listeners' minds, for those maybe who didn't catch the first interview, tell us um, a little bit about the society and the history behind it that um, is bringing these commemorative events to the fore next year. Well, uh, the Felstein Society was begun as what was called a Landsmannschaft organization, that uh, was founded originally in 1905 in New York and was basically something that people pulled together in order to be able to, first of all, deal with the issues of burial that they had a hard time dealing with in New York at that time because there were no consecrated Jewish cemeteries. Well, there were very few. And there needed to be more. So they got together, and these people bought a plot of land in Staten Island. Other groups bought land in Long Island or in Queens or in, in other some of the outlying areas. And that was one of the primary reasons for them to be together, was to have a burial society. And then there were other things as well. Of course, there was uh, social, there was support. And then after the pogroms happened in 1919, they became much more of a benevolent society because they collected money for not only for the people who were displaced from their homes and lost everything, a, a tremendous number of orphans that were left after the, their parents were killed in the, in the Ukraine, in Belarus, and in other parts of, of what was at one point the Russian Empire after the Russian Revolution. There were just thousands of kids all over the place that needed to be housed and clothed and fed and educated. So there were orphanages that sprung up all over the place. And these Landsmannschaft organizations were very instrumental, not only in collecting money directly among their own members and and sending the money back and making visits, but they also were instrumental in connecting with important Jewish organizations like HIAS and um, Jewish Defense Council and things like that, that were also very supportive of these efforts to make sure that the kids uh, had a place to live and, and adequate clothing and food and, and education. So uh, that's, that's where it started. And then 
in the 30s, in the 20s and the 30s, they were more focused on social activities and developing support networks for people who were building businesses and um, who were interested in doing a variety of other things. And eventually, in the late 30s, came to uh, the point where they decided that it would be a very important thing to write a book. So the Felstein Society's main focus of existence at that point became the writing of the book. Great. Uh, From the early to the mid-30s, and it was published in 1937. And what happened was uh, people decided that it was okay for each of them to contribute a chapter. So some people contributed more than one chapter, and some Mm -hmm. people contributed uh, other things aside from uh, the written word. But uh, basically they got together and and they put this wonderful book together, which... We understand from uh, a number of scholars who uh, look at this type of literature and who feel that our book, the Felstein Yisker book, is what it's called, is a very strong model of of the kind of uh, literature that was produced in response to these events. Right. And then, of course, when the Holocaust came and uh, the Germans invaded this part of the world, the rest of the Jews who were living in the town were slaughtered and buried in a mass grave uh, in the town. So um, the society persisted pretty much on a very uh, regular basis through the 70s. And then people began to die off and the original members uh, Mm -hmm. were no longer interested or no longer capable of participating. So things really died off until about the 90s when we began to become much more interested in the book and the translation of the book, which was written largely in Yiddish, Mm. and uh, trying to see what we could do to maintain the society. So we had a 10-year anniversary reunions, uh, one in 1999 and one in 2009. And five or six years ago, we decided that it was uh, very important for us to think about what we could do to commemorate the centennial of uh, of the pogrom that occurred in, in Felstein. And we began talking about it with a number of people, including like the Evo Institute and the uh, Museum of Jewish Heritage and other significant Jewish cultural uh, organizations in the city. And slowly but surely came up with the picture of that possibility as something that really the Felstein Society was pretty much the only functional, one of the main functional organizations of its kind that was left, and it was really going to be up to us to not only shine some light on the events that happened in Felstein, but really to look beyond that and look at the events that occurred throughout Eastern Europe at that time. uh, Again, in the Ukraine, in Belarus, Poland, Lithuania, you know, it was just a, a very wide range of mm-hmm. geographical area where these things took place. Yeah, it was called the Pale of Settlement, I guess, right? Yes, it, it, that was called the Pale of Settlement yeah. until, I think, until 1912, something like that. 1917, it was a provisional government. 1917, yeah. okay, that's when that's when it was, yes. So yeah. um, this is pretty much where we came, and we then began to put together a program that we thought was going to be meaningful. And uh, we've been working on it now steadily for about two years. And uh, we're looking forward to having our event on April 14th of 2019 at the Center for Jewish History in Manhattan, uh, right off Union Square. 
and uh, it's a very wonderful place. It's a beautiful building that houses the Center for Jewish History itself, as well as the Evo Institute, and there's a cultural center. It's a really wonderful repository of uh, valuable information, documents from the old world, documents from the United States that people brought over. It has an enormous archive, and it has been a great a source of support and a tremendous resource to us going forward and trying to put this event together. It sounds like it's it's going to be a incredible event, and you're connecting up with people all around the world pretty much to commemorate it as well. And to, to remember, this is a story that kind of got, became almost cliched, you know, after Fiddler on the Roof, you know, people kind of knew there were these, these pogroms back, ancient history, right? But it's important to not just consign these things to the dustbin of, of history, because it's important to remember history can repeat itself. And, you know, we may be, for all we know, on the cusp of, of repeating terrible mistakes of history ourselves. So it's, it's a very good thing to be commemorating these events as, as you're doing now. So before we go on, I just wanted to ask you for some clarification um, the term that you mentioned, uh, land, land, what is that word? Landsmannschaften. Right, yeah. What does that mean? Landsmannschaft is, is basically neighbors. Oh. A, a landsman is a neighbor or somebody who comes from your town or from your neighborhood or from your shtetl in that case. Uh-huh. So the Landsmannschaften organizations were groups of people who gathered primarily around the towns that their families came from. Okay, all right. So uh, let's go back then to the um, commemorations are going to be taking place in April. Uh, Yes, in Manhattan, yes. Okay. So you've been planning this. You said actually you started thinking about this six years ago, and but plans have actually been going on for the past two years. And so you've got the location set and you've got the date set and, and you're planning the events as well. But you've had something, you recently put out this press release. So a really interesting and exciting development has happened in Ukraine. So tell us about the connection there and the actual site of, of this town, which no longer exists, right? Felsch no longer exists. Well, it, it's fascinating because we don't really know how it happened. Hi. So we're kind of doing our own uh, private detective work, trying <laughs> to have exactly how this came to pass. We suspect that one of our members, one of our Felsteiners, who actually was born in Felstein and who grew up in Felstein and whose family survived, even though they were Jewish, because they passed for Catholic. Oh. Uh, this lady, uh, her name is Paulina Lerner, uh, went back to visit Felstein this past spring. And I believe it's as a result of her visit to Felstein that the uh, local Catholic priest got involved. And uh, so I think that she happened to, when she was there, meet with the principal of the school, a fellow by the name of Yuri Fedorov, and they talked about uh, what kind of sustained activities there could be that would bring the history, the full history of the town, to light for the school children. And they talked about the possibility of establishing a museum-type display in the, in one of the corridors of the school where they have glass-enclosed mm-hmm. display cases. And, and wouldn't it be wonderful if we could do a, you know, a visual depiction of what the town was like 100 years ago? 
Wow. And talk about the Jews and talk about how things came to pass. Now, they had that discussion. I believe that that discussion spilled over to the Catholic clergy. Oh. And then we got this wonderful letter from Father Peter, who said to us that we're going to have a, uh, a memorial on the date of the pogrom, where we, we pledged to have 600 people with candles lit in the town. Oh, wow. And uh, we think that's a, a very powerful thing, and it's a wonderful uh, message for the town to send and for the church to become involved in and for us to be able to feel that our ancestors will be remembered in that way yes. on that day. So it's a really wonderful thing, and we're hoping to be able to work with other priests in the local area and maybe even, you know, get it to spread a little bit. You know, for instance, uh, Kemelnitsky, which is only about 12 or 15 miles away, mm-hmm. might be, you know, another town where we, we, we could... Uh, attempt to uh, reach out to the local clergy and see if they wouldn't participate. Kamelnitsky itself has a synagogue that we're establishing communications with, but we're we're hoping that the activity of of Father Peter will spread to other communities that suffered suffered similarly in those days. Oh, yeah, what a great gesture of reconciliation. And yes, maybe we I can, think so. Yeah, maybe can we heal the wounds of the past and, and move forward as, you know, I think people hoped over the centuries. Um, so what is the name of this church? It's it's St. Wojciech Parish. Okay, and it's it's Roman Roman Catholic? Yes, and Father Peter is also inviting the Orthodox, the uh, Eastern Orthodox uh, clergy to participate as well. Wow. So it's not only going to be Catholic. That's amazing. And, uh, you know, and of course, we're hoping that we're going to be able to get the uh, the synagogue and Kemelnitsky oh. involved. And uh, we'll see what happens. I've been speaking with Alan Bernstein, president of the Felshton Society in New York. Next week, in part two of this interview, Alan will share more details about the Society's phenomenal connection with a school and a Catholic church in Ukraine, eager to help shed light on their town's lost Jewish heritage. Meanwhile, for more information about the Felshton Society and the history of the Jewish shtetl, Felshton, visit their website, www.felshton.org, F-E-L-S-H-T-I-N, www.felshton.org. So, until next time, Shalom. Ukrainian Jewish Heritage is brought to you by the Ukrainian Jewish Encounter, based in Toronto, Ontario. To find out more about their work, visit their website and follow them on Facebook and Twitter. Transcripts and audio files of this and earlier broadcasts of Ukrainian Jewish Heritage are available at their website, ukrainianjewishencounter.org, as well as at the Nasholos website, www.nasholos.com. Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. 
Just hit the link in the show description to support now. 